You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Well, the COVID-19 case numbers are higher than they've been in months in hot spots around the province. People under the age of 40 make up the greater portion of these numbers. The government is rolling back some freedoms to try and stop the spread. Its pandemic preparedness plan has been set in motion. And then there is the threat of a second wave. Here to help us come to grips with the ebb and flow of COVID-19 and what is happening here in our own backyard is York Region's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kareem Kurji, thank you for joining us on the feed. You're most welcome, Anne. So let's talk about a broader picture, and that would be the province. The case numbers are rising and dropping a little, but continuing to be in areas that we haven't seen for months. What does that signal to you, Dr. Kurji? So uh, that signals to me that uh, either we are a continuation of the first phase uh, or this may actually be the beginning of a second wave that has been predicted. However, having it so early on in the fall when we were expecting really something big to arise probably in November is a disturbing uh, piece of news. Uh, We expect that as uh, the cold weather comes through and as uh, respiratory and influenza outbreaks start, uh, we would be expecting a worsening of the situation subsequently. What is your research telling you about the high numbers, but also the fact that so many people under the age of 40 are contracting COVID-19? So in terms of our analysis for York Region's figures, we find that uh, the majority of our folks who have become cases uh, seem to have been linked to uh, social gatherings, household parties, or other sort of close social contacts. And uh, so this may very well explain the uh, uh, reason why you're seeing an uptick in the under 40 age group. And so with the more recent uh, Uh, pronouncements by the province with regard to restricting indoor and outdoor activities and social gatherings in private dwellings. Uh, We hope that this will certainly curb the increase. Let's talk about some of the components of the pandemic preparedness plan that the government uh, has unveiled. One of the key components that seems to be grabbing headlines is Well, and I can almost quote the premier, get a flu shot. So he feels and the uh, medical uh, people at the command table, provincially speaking, feel that it is important to have a flu shot. What are your opinions about that? Uh, We have always been advocating for uh, more people really to have the flu shot. Uh, Last year, I think about 29% of our residents in York Region availed themselves of the flu shot. This time around, we hope that the number is much greater. The purpose behind that would be to avoid, uh, shall we say, hospitalizations or unnecessary visits to healthcare providers because of flu. Uh, In addition to that, Uh, there's going to be a lot of confusion between the signs and symptoms of flu versus COVID-19. So all around, we would stand to benefit 
by having had the flu shots and reducing the likelihood of overwhelming our healthcare services. Dr. Kurji, is there any evidence that there is protection from COVID-19 within this year's, this season's flu shot? No. Uh, and that certainly is not the purpose behind advocating the flu shot. Um, however, what usually happens is in the first wave, we found that uh, individuals who came down with the flu or, for that matter, other respiratory infections tended to come down with COVID-19 subsequently. In other words, COVID-19 managed to get into those populations knowing that the defenses were weak. I want to talk about testing, and that's certainly something that the government is tackling as well, making an announcement that 60 pharmacies around the province will be able to test for COVID-19. So testing, why is it important that we test and have results? So um, the jurisdictions in the world that uh, have managed to better control uh, COVID-19 have always told us that uh, what is important is really testing, tracing, and then isolation. So I think it is I think I'm very uh, comfortable with the uh, Premier trying to push testing and making it available through as many avenues as possible. Our own data uh, seems to indicate that the proportion that test positive in symptomatic individuals as well as asymptomatic individuals is roughly the same. So I know that there is this debate, uh, but I'm leaning more in terms of uh, where the premier is coming from. Dr. Kurji, there are some who feel that the threat of COVID-19 is real and it frightens them. There are others who feel strongly that by wearing masks and washing their hands frequently and staying physically distanced, that they probably should not contract any kind of illness like flu or COVID-19. I would say that we hope that the latter uh, folks are right. However, none of these measures are 100% foolproof unfortunately. And so um, it's like having a vaccine. A vaccine is not expected to be 100% foolproof either. So it is important that we practice all those measures uh, that everybody is so familiar with, with a view to trying to reduce the likelihood of contracting COVID-19. And what do you say to those who don't want to wear masks or refuse to physical distance at this point? In other words, not really adhering to the guidelines. Well, the big issue is this. No person is an island unto themselves. Uh, we may acquire COVID-19 and pass it on to someone else. And that someone else might be an elderly individual, and that elderly individual won't have much of a fighting chance, given that we know from our past experiences that approximately one in three individuals over the age of 75 die if they contract COVID-19. Dr. Kurji, what have you and York Region Public Health learned about COVID-19, about this pandemic, since it was declared in March? We have learned many, many ways of being able to better control the different outbreaks that we see, and we also know that uh, the physical distancing measures in particular, the masking, and the other hygiene measures seemingly work. So 
And we also have learned that the public essentially is compliant with many of these measures. Um, our mall surveys, you know, which we've repeated just recently, suggest that almost 100% of individuals wear masks. So we are very uh, comfortable with the compliance by our public, and I know that our people are there behind us because this is a collective effort and it requires everybody to do their part. We very much respect your view of how to deal with this, which is to prepare and not to panic. The headlines every single day do push some people into panic mode. What do you say to them? What is your projection when it comes to our future here in York Region and this pandemic? So in York Region, when we look at the dates of onset and we look at the graph there, we will see that the gradient of the graph is not as steep as it was in April. That indicates that many of the measures that we have in place seemingly work. The big issue, of course, this time around is there is no great lockdown. And uh, the fall, with all its consequences, is approaching. So I think that if we were being extremely vigilant, uh, with respect to these measures, we have a fighting chance of being able to flatten the curve. What are your thoughts on the efficacy of a, a vaccine when it finally is available? Is it the be-all and end-all, Dr. Kurji? Unfortunately not. Um, when a vaccine is available, we may discover that it's not 100% effective, which is what we expect. And... Uh, it will take a little while before the physical distancing rules, etc., can be relaxed because you will still see some outbreaks occurring and these will slowly, slowly diminish in numbers. As more and more people get vaccinated and herd immunity kicks in, then we'll get less and less transmission. But the results won't be there overnight. The Premier earlier this week said pretty much that this second wave is going to be more challenging and more difficult than the first wave. What are your thoughts? Uh, the Premier is very right because remember this time around, society is continuing to function much more normally than it was with the first wave when we instituted all the lockdowns. Uh, so that is going to be the challenging part. And... Uh, Unfortunately, some people may have thought that these relaxation in rules give them the license to socialize more actively, uh, which is the sort of thing that we want to prevent. You know, it's human nature to want to come together. And when the rules are relaxed, as you mentioned, there is this sort of thirst to be with another human being, maybe even to touch them when you should not at this point in a pandemic. So... How do you find balance when it comes to issuing guidelines and suggestions on how to stay safe, but also finding fulfillment in life? So this is actually a unique challenge for all of us, um, given that the situation tends to oscillate very rapidly. Um, for example, in mid-August, we were only seeing about four to five cases a day in York Region, and now we are at over three, 30 cases a day. Um, this isn't uh, very normal, and uh, um, so we have to learn to adapt uh, very rapidly to the changing circumstances. We're about half a year into this pandemic, can you describe from a more scientific angle what 
COVID-19 is and how it has changed through these past six and a half months? So COVID-19 has had many lessons for us. Uh, we know that it approaches us by uh, manifesting as cases, and then you see uh, hospitalizations, and then you see ICU hospitalizations, and then you see deaths. The deaths tend to occur mainly in the elderly individuals, but then there are some younger people as well that have been affected. Uh, we also know that COVID-19 uh, uh, may have long-term effects, and we also know how it can be introduced very easily by young people into families, as about 70% of our cases seem to be, have gotten it from close contacts. So we know that it is actually a virus that finds its way um, through unsuspecting environments. Uh, we've had workplaces that have been affected. Uh, we know that carpooling and many such behaviors tend to promote it. So we've learned a lot about COVID-19. My final question, and it's probably one of the toughest ones that I, I have to ask you, is it, in your estimation, something that everyone is going to have a brush with? In other words, that everyone will either have low symptoms or or be really brought to their knees by COVID-19? Is everyone going to catch COVID-19? No, and that is the uh, issue in the sense that the seroprevalence studies that have been done so far indicate that a very small proportion of individuals, somewhere around 1% of individuals, have actually had COVID-19. Now, even if you were to double those figures, it's nothing. That actually means that the vast majority of us are not immune to COVID-19. So it is imperative that we keep our numbers really low because if the numbers get out of control, we are all very susceptible to getting it. In other words, do everything we can to avoid contracting COVID-19. That's correct. So each person needs to regard everyone else outside their immediate household as potentially infectious and then take, take on the responsibility of keeping the physical distance and using the other hygiene measures that we've advocated. Dr. Kurji, if our listeners and our followers want more information about the guidelines and just everything that pops up on your website each and every day, in fact, it's refreshed, I think, every hour, where should they go? They should really go to the website, york.ca slash COVID-19. Uh, we put in a lot of effort to make sure that the information there is current. And they can also visit our dashboards. We have information there for school children, parents. We have information there for businesses and for the general public. May I say from all of us here at 105.9 The Region, thank you, Dr. Kurji, for your incredible hard work and that of your team as well. You're most welcome. This is actually an effort that uh, uh, hundreds of individuals are engaged in uh, throughout the regional corporation, throughout the municipalities, throughout the schools, throughout the hospital and healthcare communities, and of course the public as well. So thank you to all of you. York Region's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kareem Kurji, thank you. You're most welcome, ma'am. When we come back, Silken Laman and the Unsinkable Project. That story is next. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? 
Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Silken Lawman retired from competitive rowing in 1999 with three Olympic medals for Canada. Since then, she has continued to be an inspiration to so many people. Jim Lang with her unsinkable story. She is one of the great athletes Canada's ever produced, a multi-medalist in the Olympics and uh, inspirational at the best of times. And now, at the worst of times, taking her inspirational game to a new level, she is Silken Lauman and part of something called WeAreUnsinkable.com with an unsinkable freshman event coming up on Tuesday, September the 29th. Silken, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, I mean, this is timing couldn't be perfect. I know I have one daughter, second yeah. year university, uh, one daughter in grade 12, and inspiring <laughs> teens um, and people in high school and university is never more important than it is right now dealing with COVID, Silken. Yeah, this has been really um, kind of a natural progression from our Unsinkable Youth um, show, which we launched in the spring um, and ran on CTV. And that was really the voices of young people telling us what they're concerned about, what they're worried about, how we can help them, um, reaching out really to adults and mentors in their life, um, saying this is hard. And I think that what we really heard then was that young people want to be acknowledged that um, – you know, what they're going through, yeah, they're not necessarily losing their jobs and not being able to pay the mortgage um, like um, their, their their parents, but they're losing first, you know, high school graduation, um, freshman year. So we decided to kind of continue the conversation after our Unsinkable Youth Show and um, create this online um, resource and event uh, to, I guess it's a celebration of um, first-year students. Um, it's, uh, we're going to have a psychologist there, um, Dr. Monique Coleman, I'm sorry, Monique Coleman, who's an actor um, from High School Musical. So that's kind of going to be fun for the young people. They all know who she is. Um, but we, we, we want them to feel like there's something to look forward to. You know, I, we're the same age group, and, and, and we grew up in about the same era. And I'm thinking back in your days Matthew. at Western, uh, your concern was training and academics, maybe getting into the <laughs> seeps. It was, it, it's so different now. <laughs> Being a, a young it's, man or woman in Canada in university, it, dealing with everything they have right now, they yeah. need this. I know, and it's it, you know, and we're the parents who sort of um, told all these stories about our university times, and <laughs> as you said, the seats and all the fun times. And now um, these young people are going, and they, you know, they've been so looking forward to it, and they're. Um, in their dorm rooms or they're doing online learning from home. And I think those of us who maybe don't have um, uh, university students or, you know, don't, don't realize, like, a lot of them, they're doing module learning, so they're not even doing, like, Zoom classes. Um, so that's super hard because what we're hearing, because we've been interviewing young people um, prior to putting this show together, we, um, Unsinkable Youth, but by the way, it's, it's, a, it's a not-for-profit um, story-sharing site for young people to share their experiences with others, to contribute um, positively to their mental health. Um, and, 
you know, so we're hearing what they're concerned about, and, and it's things like, you know, being alone in their dorm room, not being able to meet people, um, not being able to keep up with their classes. Uh, my daughter, uh, you mentioned your your, your kids. Um, my, my daughter's in third, her last year of university, and she opted to not go to school this year hmm. because she has dyslexia, and it's very, very difficult for her to do module learning or um, online learning, so she's taking a gap year. So it's, it's really profoundly affecting them. And so, you know, what we're hearing, because we ask, like, what can universities do better? And they're saying, you know, help us connect even if it's virtually, you know, even if it's through a Zoom room, um, much like we're all doing in our work environments, we're all Zooming and seeing real people. And, yeah, it's it's not as good as one-to-one um, or in person, but it's at least something. How as parents and adults can we be better at, actually listening to the teens and kids in university and college about what they're dealing with with their mental health. Yeah, I think that we make a lot of assumptions about young people. I've always known this. I think um, many adults think that, you know, young people have it easy, that they're privileged, that they're hiding in their screens all the time. Um, you know, it's actually a pretty difficult time to be a young person, and they want social connection above and beyond beyond everything else, anything else. And so I think as adults, you know, you have a, a, a student going to university right now, um, encouraging them to um, uh, take the university up on their support resources. Every university, especially like for their freshmen, are offering um, helplines and resources, and uh, that that's really important to reach out to the professors to be persistent um, in their need for help. I, I think when I went to university, at least, um, when I was struggling, I wasn't really aware that there was help to be had. And... Um, you know, I think a lot of students are like that. So to re- to really look for those resources. Um, in our event, we're actually creating um, some online resources, some meditations, um, some um, connection to back to their universities and where they can get help. And I think as adults, um, we don't do enough listening. Um, we are very keen to tell and to, um, you, you know, to assume uh, um, what their experiences are, but, like, just... A lot of time if you're just with your young people and you're spending time with them and you're not in lecture mode, you're going to hear what's bothering them. Hmm. Speaking with Silicon Lum and Canadian Olympic hero, a part of WeAreUnsinkable.com with the big Unsinkable freshman event taking place Tuesday, September the 29th at 7 p.m. Uh, anyone who's followed any kind of sports in this country knows about your heroics at the 92 Barcelona Games, basically winning a bronze medal on one leg. Uh, that's overcoming adversity. Even mm-hmm. as much as you did that, Silken, when we're dealing with COVID, it, it, had anything prepared you for what we dealt with for the first spring, first few months of spring and summer of this year? You know, honestly, I think my whole life has prepared me to deal with COVID. Um, you know, one of the things that we're discovering is that we're a lot more resilient than any of us thought. And I think um, resilience, um, means that, you know, you don't deny the situation, but you look for the things that you can control, the things you manage. Um, in, in, COVID has just been so difficult for so many people. And I think 
we have to acknowledge that and grieve our losses. And, you know, certainly young people have to grieve their losses as well. And we, I think the worst thing you can do is pretend it's not happening and um, not give space to some of the grief that comes up because it's just going to come up in different ways um, and, and kind of leak out in inappropriate yeah. times. So we've got to acknowledge that grief. But I think my whole life has been around adapting to challenge and to change and to always looking at what can be done versus what can't be done. So when I was in that hospital, that and the doctors told me that I wouldn't go to the Olympics and that I'd walk with a limp. You know, immediately my mind turned to what I could still do, which was pull on a bungee cord, pull on a TheraBand, do some hand weights. And, and that's really the way that I've always approached life is to look for where my agency is. Like, okay, yeah, you know what? And stuff happens. And I think we've all in our lives kind of, you know, we, 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 we've lived under this illusion that change doesn't happen. Where change is actually happening all the time. And, and the more you push yourself to be out there and to, and to be all that you can be, you're always going to be experiencing huge amounts of change. So I feel like my whole life um, has been about, um, you know, overcoming adversity and, and, and accepting and, and almost embracing change. So COVID for me, it's not like it hasn't been hard. It's been really hard. Um, you know, we, in, in the first month of COVID, uh, we have a special needs daughter. One of her caregivers got sick and we had to make the decision instantly um, to uh, have our daughter uh, move out of our home full time because my husband is immune compromised. It was huge amount of stress and sorrow around that. So everybody's experiencing it differently. But what we can do is, is, is look for some of the upsides. One is hopefully we're all going to come out of this a lot more resilient, including our young people, because this is hard. This has been a real challenge in their life. This is something they're going to look back to and say, I did that. I got through that. That's what I do in, uh, when I look back at my 92 Olympic performances. Yeah, I did that. I know I'm strong. And that, that is worth something. And also, I think... Um, you know, we can no longer pretend. So I think there has been a culture of not communicating how we're doing. But now we're on Zoom calls and, you know, um, people's three-year-olds and two-year-olds are running um, on the screen behind. And we can see that people are heard. And it's giving us an opportunity to ask, how are you doing? And we've got to ask our young people, how are you doing? Um, and really listen. So that I, I'm, I'm hoping that at the end of all this, and it will come to an end, um, we will emerge, you know, a little bit more resilient, a little tougher for the experience, and maybe also have learned, um, I, I don't know about you, but when I do have person-to-person contact, when I, when I do, you know, go out on an outdoor patio as we did on Saturday with my, my son and his girlfriend to celebrate her birthday, I so appreciated that. So making us kind of appreciate those special times too and that, and that one-to-one contact we can still have with other human beings. Well said. Unsinkable, the freshman event, Tuesday, September 29th at 7 p.m. Get details. We are unsinkable.com. As a longtime new market resident, Silken, it gives me great pride to drive by Silken Laman Way on a regular <laughs> basis. So that's a, that's a good vibe thing when I see that. Ah, oh, that's so nice. Thank you very much. Well, I have fond memories of growing up in that area, and I think I ran through every street in my first career as a runner, <laughs> as a young person. <laughs> Thank you for this, Silken. Keep up the great work. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care.
Our next story takes us to Blue Door in York Region. Afwa Ba with how the group not only provides safe emergency housing but also helps vulnerable individuals train in the trades. We've been hearing that there will be thousands of jobs available in the trades in the near future. And in the trades,、uh, an example like that would be in the construction industry, but not enough people will be available to fill those jobs. Now, there are those that might really want to get a job in that particular industry, but for one reason or another, they just can't find a way to get into that industry or to break in. And sometimes, all you need is just someone that's willing to provide an opportunity, and that's where. Construct comes in. So, joining me today to chat more about the organization is CEO of Blue Door, Michael Braithwaite. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Afwa. It is our pleasure. Okay, so for those that may not know, and of course, school me on this as well. What is Construct? What is it all about? Construct is a program that provides people with barriers to employment, with meaningful employment and well-paying employment that actually provides them with an income. That can actually lift them out of poverty and help them afford to live in the GTA. And the idea, really, around it was Blue Door primarily looks at rapidly rehousing people and housing people and affordable housing. But if people can't afford the housing we're providing, we need to look at it from a different angle and fill a different need. And there's a need in the trade. There's also a need for people to be able to get jobs that pay enough for them to afford but where they live. This is an awesome idea. I'm assuming that this has probably been an idea, though, in the works for a while. If you could just maybe talk to me about the background as to, you know, how this idea came about, and then, you know, working towards it finally coming into fruition. Absolutely. I, I think. Now, listen. I can't claim this as an original、uh, Michael Braithwaite or Blue Door idea. This is being done across the country to the south of York Region, Toronto. There's a program called Building Up. And in speaking with Building Up and looking at this concept, we thought, what a wonderful concept! Could we bring it north of Steeles? And they said, absolutely. And they're very supportive. And and they took it out of Winnipeg from another group,、uh, Purpose Construction, and so on. And so there's a group of us across Canada doing this. And really, as you pointed out in the introduction,、um, right now, even with COVID, there's a massive need for new infrastructure. The federal government just talked about building 3,000. Uh, new homes in the next year, affordable homes, and to do that, you're going to need tradespeople. And so this program fills that void. It, it helps people get some work experience, some training with our partners at Leuna 506, the local there, who does the first two weeks of training and practical experience. So then employers are saying, "Hey, I love it. They have experience. They've got some qualifications through Leuna. I'm going to take them on as an apprentice, and they'll start at $21 to $28 an hour to start." And if they stay on for a couple of years and and work through that apprenticeship, they can be making forty, fifty, sixty, continuing on to a, a great income and a, a higher standard of life. What are some of the services that、uh, Construct provides? Well, if you look at Construct, is a social enterprise. So we're really a full-scale contractor, but with that social piece attached to it. So if you look at it, if someone had work on their home, they need landscaping, snow removal, painting. Uh, a new addition, roofing,、um, anything that a contractor would do, Construct does that. Now, I should say we have experts that do the work, that lead the work,、um, and you pay for those experts like you would any other contractor. It's fair and competitive pricing. But on top of that, we're bringing in eight trainees that you don't pay for. 
and that's paid for through uh, our government partners, the government of Ontario, the federal government, and the Home People Foundation that's contributing, RBC. So you don't pay for those, but you can feel pretty good that not only are you getting high-quality work at a fair price done uh, through all those services, but you're helping to launch eight people into a career in the trades. So without even doing anything, you become a community champion. So really any odd job from really small to really big uh, we can do around construction and contracting. And then how does the recruitment process work? I know that you mentioned a little bit that it might be, for example, some that may be dealing with uh, maybe homelessness a, a bit, but how does one connect themselves with Construct? Where, where would they begin or vice versa? How does the social enterprise end up finding the people uh, to fill these jobs? Well, it's a bit of, um, we, we want people to apply, so they apply through our website at constructgta.ca. Um, but really, we work with our community partners, and we look for people who can do a little physical labor, they want to improve their life circumstances, they may have had some barriers to employment. We also look for people, we look for, uh, those barriers might be things like, hey, I'm new to the country, and I want to provide for myself and my family, or I, I only have a grade 10 education, so I've found walls coming up when I've gone for different jobs. I, I'm experiencing homelessness. Um, so there's many, many barriers to employment. And really, when we interview them, we say we want them to be successful. We don't want to add another failure to someone who's already down on, on, on their lot, but we want them to be successful. So we're going to set them up for success. So we look for people that we think are ready and will be successful in the eight-week program to push through and change their lives. And also then, how has the reception been like since uh, Construct, uh, you know, has come into the region? Uh, how's the reception been like for those hiring and for those that are working? You know what? It, it's been incredible. I think people understand it. So government is saying, please do this program. It, it, it helps everyone. The eight participants we have in our first cohort are wonderful human beings. They're, they're amazing and they're working hard. They're into their third week uh, and they're, they're a Leona training right now. And next week they start projects. And the response from the community has been incredible. People reaching out saying, hey, I have this job or that job. Uh, our community partners saying, hey, normally we just hire um, kind of contractors that we reach out to, but why would we not hire you as a community partner to not only are you helping us, but you're doing work for people in need of, of that help too. So it's, it's been wonderful. And I think the program is going to continue to grow and grow and grow. I love that. It's such great news to hear. And, of course, we are in the midst of the pandemic. Has it impacted Construct and the growth of Construct so far? Or have you seen that maybe the pandemic, ironically enough, has helped Construct grow in terms of more people coming towards this program saying that they want to try out something new? Well, a little bit of column A, a little bit of uh, column B. So we were originally going to start the program in April and get off to a later start. Now starting in September. However, to your second point, yeah, I think more now more than ever, and we figured out ways to run the program to, be, to keep everyone safe uh, and to be successful. So now more than ever, we need more and more people in the trades with new announcements around infrastructure and housing needed. Um, so I think it's, it's going to continue to grow that way. And listen, when the, the big message coming out of COVID-19 is stay safe, stay home. If you don't have a home to stay safe in, you know, that's a big issue. So this is helping people keep their homes, uh, get a home if they don't have one, and have some supports wrapped around them throughout the program. 
That's a perfect point that you just mentioned. Okay, uh, Michael, if, if anyone wants more information on Construct GTA, if they want to try it out um, and, you know, they're just looking for something that they, they want to do, something new, or anyone that is in need of a job and they're thinking, this is looking like it's the way that I want to go and want to try out, where can they go for more info? Well, I would say if you're, you're looking to get into the trades, maybe you just finished school or you had some setbacks, reach out to us at constructgta.ca. Or if you're in need of having you have some work at your home or your business or you know of someone uh, that needs some painting, landscaping, construction work done around your home, again, reach out to us at constructgta.ca or reach out to me at michael.bapluto.ca. Perfect. All right, Michael Braithwaite, CEO of Blue Door, but also letting us know about Construct GTA. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Alpha. Coming up, how your trip to the dentist has changed in the new normal and the CIBC run for the cure has gone virtual. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. This year's CIBC Run for the Cure has been transformed into a one-of-a-kind virtual event. Tina Cortez with the details. October 4th is the date, the CIBC Run for the Cure, but it's a little bit different this year. To fill us in is Sabrina Ferrari, and she's the co-run director for Woodbridge Vaughn. Sabrina, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about this year's CIBC Run for the Cure. How different is it? It's a little different this year. Um, since we can't meet in person, the CIBC Run for the Cure has been transformed into a one-of-a-kind experience that includes both physical and virtual components. Okay, so fill me in a little bit. How do you combine in-person and virtual and bring those two together? So we've created an easy-to-use mobile app and website where participants can create and customize their own virtual runner. They can fundraise to unlock rewards and track their activity. And then on run day, they will join our online opening ceremonies before heading out to walk or run in their neighborhood. Okay, so let's talk more about those opening ceremonies. Always a lot of fun. I've attended the events in downtown Toronto, in Maple last year. Tell me about this year's opening ceremonies. For sure. The opening ceremonies will be live streamed across Canada on the Canadian Cancer Society's Facebook and YouTube channels at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And they're going to be hosted by Julie Black. Excellent. She's a great friend to our radio station here and such a fantastic entertainer. So let's talk about fundraising. Where does the money go? How does it help those with breast cancer? Because of the funds that have been raised through the CIBC Run for the Cure, we were able to know more now than ever before on how to prevent, diagnose, treat, and live with and beyond breast cancer Almost $428 million have been invested in groundbreaking research by the Canadian Cancer Society and former Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation over the last 25 years. And this also includes $24 million invested in metatastic breast cancer research just over the last five years. That's pretty remarkable. Now, according to the Canadian Cancer Society, every day more than 75 Canadians are diagnosed with breast cancer. 
everyone has a story. Everyone has been affected by cancer. Why did you decide to get involved? Um, you're right. So many people are affected, and it's 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 really sad and it's touching. I entered a Facebook post looking for committee members, and I was interested in seeing what the event was all about and how they would come together to help this cause. But it wasn't until after my first event where I realized the impact this actually had on so many people that it was so rewarding and fulfilling that I couldn't wait for the next one. So this is my second year as co-run director and my sixth year on the committee. And can you share maybe a story or two about some of the highlights over the last few years? What has been the best part of participating for you? Um, Well, we work together with such a wonderful committee. Every year we have new members that join our committee that really come together to make such a memorable run for our participants. We work with amazing vendors that help to make the event a little more fun, a little bit more of an experience when people come from food to um, entertainment. And it's, it's just really nice to see when the smiles on people's faces, even though there's a lot of tears, a lot of smiles come out at the end, and it's remarkable. It really is remarkable and quite wonderful to see people coming together and helping each other. If listeners want to participate or donate, how can they do that? They can register for the event or donate to the Canadian Cancer Society CIBC Run for the Cure at CIBCRunForTheCure.com. Terrific. Sabrina Ferrari, co-run director for Woodbridge Vaughan. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you again. Well, a visit to the dentist might not be quite at the top of your list these days, but it should be. After all, a healthy mouth is a happy life. Joining us on the feed to talk about the marvels of modern dentistry and also COVID-19 safety precautions is Dr. Robert Paccioni, Crystalline Dental here in York Region. Thanks for joining us on the feed. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So why is a healthy mouth so important to one's mental and physical well-being? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, I mean, <clears throat> the most important one is your basic nutrition and well-being. Um, you know, with with a healthy mouth, um, you know, you, you, you can digest food properly, you eat properly. Also, you have... Um, you know, other factors that are involved as far as cardiac health, um, just general well-being. Let's talk about the mouth itself. So we talk about the gums, we talk about the teeth, we talk about the tongue. These are things that you take into consideration when you first meet a, a patient and when you continue to work with them. Yeah, that's correct. So why are all of those components so important? Well, periodontal health is is of, of primal importance because, um, you know, p- a bad periodontal health can lead to cardiac problems, other systemic problems. Also, a general uh, healthy dentition can give you, um, you know, you, you can eat properly, you can digest food properly, and it just promotes the general well-being of, of, uh, of a patient. So those are the basics. Let's talk about modern dentistry, which is what Crystalline Dental is all about. So what is the latest and the greatest? One of the one of the things that's gotten me excited is is um, the the new technologies involved in implant dentistry. 
we do um, 3D modeling. Like you know, before we had to rely on <clears throat> on X-rays and, and conventional methods. Now we use 3D imaging, computer-generated um, surgical models. So basically, we we do surgeries virtually. And then, and then we translate that to the patient. So basically, it's, it's the old adage, you know, measure twice, cut once. Well, we basically measure, you know, several times and then, and then cut. You also perform laser dentistry. What is that? Laser dentistry is, um, contrary to what you might think, lasers typically are used, you know, what people envision lasers as is heat cutting instruments. Lasers in dentistry are totally different. We use them to do soft tissue procedures and it basically is, is it uses water, energized water to cut. So, so what that does, um, it, it, it allows for so much, um, so much less pain, so much, uh, easier cutting, um, there's, there's, the healing capacity from lasers is phenomenal. You have, it, they're very bacteriocidal. Um, it, it just makes for, for a wonderful, um, cutting procedure and, and, and able to do dentistry in a marvelous way. Crowns, things like cosmetic and veneers, everything to make you look better and make your smile look better. That's something that you emphasize as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a healthy smile goes a long way on uh, instilling confidence in a person and and just just a general well-being about themselves. Um, a smile is, you know, usually they say a smile is a gateway to the soul. And I think if somebody's got a healthy, beautiful smile, it just makes them a more confident person and, and you know, just, just more comfortable to be around. You have patients of all ages, including uh, some in their golden and even platinum years, you know, in years past, people who were aging may have lost some teeth, and dentures seem to be the only way to go. Not so at Crystalline. No, we we there are so many other possibilities. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that that seniors, you know, for the, for the longest time, have been relegated to to functioning with just dentures with denture adhesives. Um, there's so many options they can have now. There, you know, for example, even just placing two implants on the lower with uh, a ball and socket attachment can go a long way to helping people chew their food properly and all the way up to like a total mouth rehabilitation, which, you know, placing implants on the top and the bottom and basically giving them back the dentition that they used to have. And, and that allows for people to live such a, a more fruitful life. They're, they're, it, it instills confidence in them, and it allows them to have a normal life and not worry about taking teeth out at night or, or you know, worrying about the type of foods that they eat, which are very limited with somebody who has uh, has a full set of dentures. What do you learn about a person by looking in their mouth? Um, you can tell a lot by looking in a mouth. I mean, first of all, if, if patients are unhappy with their, with their smile or their, their, um, dentition, you can see that because it, it, you can see the change when, when you, when you restore somebody's smile. For example, somebody will come in 
with teeth in, in bad repair or they're not happy about their smile or the shape of their teeth. And, and when you take that person and you restore their smile, whether it be with um, Invisalign or veneers or implants or, or whatever, whatever the restoration procedure is, you see a rejuvenation in the patient, and that's the kind of thing that makes our job gratifying. I mean, when you see that and you can take that transformation and translate that, translate that into somebody's new smile, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Let's talk about COVID-19 precautions and, and protocols that are in place. And I think that dental clinics and offices are probably the cleanest and most sanitized on earth when I have visited my dentist in the past, pre-pandemic, always wearing PPE, uh, goggles, uh, masks, gloves, you name it. I kind of feel that that is, you were way ahead of the curve on this one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. We, we've been ahead of the curve for a long time. I mean, we, as dentists in our profession, we've been held to a pretty strict um, standard of sterilization and, and, as you said, the PPE. I mean, we've always worn masks. We've always had gloves, uh, eye protection. <clears throat> and now they've, they've stepped that up even more. Um, we have... You know, according to the new mandates that have been that have been brought upon us, I mean, we do pre-screening of the patients when we phone them. Um, we screen the patients with with COVID questionnaires when they get to the office. Of course, they hand sanitize. We've gone to the extent of of social distancing in the in the sense that, you know, we bring in one patient at a time. Um, address them, uh, we go through the questionnaire, we take their temperature, they're brought into the operatories, even the operatories themselves. We're fortunate at Crystalline because when we designed our facility initially, we had already designed some enclosed operatories, which became a mandate from the College and Ministry of Health a little while ago. Um, you know, so so we have closed off rooms. Uh, we've had to have all the dental offices had to have their HVAC systems um, assessed, making sure that they have the proper amount of of air recirculation every hour. Um, whenever we do uh, air generated uh, aerosol generated procedures, for example, like drills or cavitrons, anything that generates an aerosol, we're now fully gowned. Uh, face masks and and you know all these things that we do at our expense, but but it's it's to provide a safe, uh, comfortable environment for the patient, and we want to make sure that you know they're comfortable and feel safe coming coming to the dentist. Dr. Robert Pacioni, a proud member of the Ontario Alliance of Dentists, Crystalline Dental. I'm smiling at you right now, and I want to thank you very much for such an informative interview, Crystalline Dental. Thank you, Dr. Pacioni. Thank you so much for having me in. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.